This is Dot Complicated on Business Radio. Here is your host, Randy Zuckerberg. Welcome to Dot Complicated. I'm your host, Randy Zuckerberg. This is my favorite hour of the week because I get to spend time with some of the leading minds in this country and abroad and introduce them to all of you right here on SiriusXM, Channel 111 Business Radio. Today, we're so lucky to have Marianne Williamson in the studio today with us. Marianne, welcome to Dot Complicated. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I'm so excited to talk to you. Marianne is just incredibly accomplished. Uh, we're also doing something really fun this week. I have a, a special guest host. It's the first time I've had a special guest host, and I'm absolutely thrilled because uh, not only do I have Marianne, but I actually have Dr. Johnny Hahn, who uh, uh, is sitting in as co-host today after participating in the American Theater Wing's Charity Buzz auction to be here, which I'm so grateful for. So, uh, Dr. Hahn, thank you so much for joining so today much. Thank also. Thank now, uh, before we, we kick off, I want to thank everyone who came to join us in Chattanooga, Tennessee live this past weekend. I know some of you who came to Sue's Tech Kitchen, that was my pop-up techie family-friendly dining experience that was designed to introduce families and children to technology in a fun way. I know uh, many of you actually came up to me at the pop-up and said that you heard about it right here on the SiriusXM show, uh, which was really thrilling to me to meet some of my listeners live and I really thank you guys we had over 1200 families come through Sue's Tech Kitchen and uh, it was one of my favorite things was I tried to talk to every girl you know every 6 to 12 year old girl that I could find that was in there and and try to encourage her to stick with math and science and technology but yeah, we had a, we had great fun. People got to uh, 3D print chocolate, watch a 3D printer make it. They got to build and drive robots. They um, got to do all sorts of fun things. So I'm hoping that we can tour Sue's Tech Kitchen all around the country in the coming year. All right. I... Uh, Again, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Doc Complicated. Our show today is featuring Marianne Williamson, who's the acclaimed 11-time author for New York Times number one bestsellers, which is just an incredible feat. Uh, But before we spend the next hour gushing over Marianne, I want to gush about my fabulous co-host, Dr. Han, who is going to join me in asking questions. Dr. Han is the founder of the Global Group, an international venture capital and angel investment company with interests ranging from banking to gaming to telecom. He's also the executive chairman of Gate Ventures, which invests in media and entertainment, focusing primarily on opportunities in the UK and China and covering everything from e-commerce to media to theater. Uh, He's worked as the executive producer of Oliver Stone's biopic W, invested in the Broadway production of Sunset Boulevard, starring Glenn Close. So many, a man of many, many talents. He's a philanthropist, a diplomat, and even a recipient of the Medal of Honor from the government of Hong Kong. It's uh, Again, thank you for being here. It's wonderful to have a patron of the arts and an accomplished global businessman. I'd love to hear a little bit about your career path and story and and how you were able to build a career that incorporated your love of the arts into it as well. You know, my my mother used to be a famous actress in Asia, so I think the the art side is always in me. 
Um, I study psychiatry. I'm, I got a PhD in psychiatry, mm. and uh, and then after my PhD, I move into banking because I think a lot of the wealthy clients they need a, a, a psychiatrist more than yeah. they need a banker. Yes. So if you can do both, then it's value added. <laughs> That's I think when you talk to most people in upper management, the higher you go, the more time you spend as a psychiatrist to people. Psychiatrist, yes. So uh, that that was smart of you. Um, you do work in uh, in China, in the UK, across the world. How do you find what are some of the main differences that you see in Western and Eastern markets? I think in China, there's a, currently a lot of capital wanting to invest overseas. But it takes a long time to build up trust with all the investors mm-hmm. and things. And once you have that, and it's, it's much easier to work with them. And so people are looking for opportunities in the UK, in Europe, in America. So it's a, it's a good time yeah. for business. It's uh, especially we talk a lot about China on this show and doing business in China, uh, second largest global economy after the U.S. and has been voted the most important market for multinational companies to get into. Um, I, I'm interested in some of the trends that you're seeing in China that maybe uh, more U.S. businesses who want to work with China should be thinking about. I think all the you know businesses should have a strategy for China. Mm-hmm. They, um, you know, the consumer there, you know, embrace technology. So yeah. the market is there, the money is there. So people want to search for the, you know, the the, the right technology uh-huh. to 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 be taken to China. And uh, with with uh, over a billion people, that's a big big yeah. market. Um, speaking of big markets, over a million people in China visit the theater every year. Uh, I actually had no idea that, that Broadway shows and theater were so successful in China, but um, the 2016 box office gross in China was over $6 billion. Um, are numbers like that what led you to invest in the arts and entertainment? Was it out of love and passion or a mixture? I think the theater is very interesting. And, um, you know, we want to invest in shows in America and the UK and good quality shows. Mm. And so... It, once we have that, then we can take some of them back to China. There's uh, there's a huge demand for it. Uh, I heard that you you saw Bette Midler in Hello Dolly. Yes, yeah, last night. It was a lovely show. <laughs> oh, terrific! Well, again, it's it's great to have such a supporter of the theater here Thank on you. the show today. Um, joining my co-host, global businessman Dr. Johnny Han, and I in studio is Marianne Williamson. She's a global sensation in her own right. She's written eleven books, four of which reached the number one spot on the New York Times bestseller list. Her first book, A Return to Love, spent thirty nine weeks on the bestseller list and sold over 3 million copies alone. When Marianne went on the Oprah Winfrey show, more viewer mail came in to praise her work than any other guest that Oprah had seen. Please welcome again to the show, Marianne. Thank you. All right. Now that we have uh, the three of us in conversation, I want to start off with a game that I like to play on the show called Like or Dislike. Like. I like that. Or Dislike. Hated it. You get Nothing! You lose! All right, this is a live show, you guys, so I want to hear what you have to think. If you, uh, these like or dislike topics tend to uh, elicit strong feelings from people, so uh, feel free to tweet me at Randy Zuckerberg or uh, send me a message on on Instagram or Facebook and I'll check them out if I can during the show and and give you guys some shout outs. All right, here's how this game works. I've picked three (laughs) topics um, that I've seen come up in the last week or two and uh, I want to see what you guys think, if you like or dislike it and why. Um, 
there's now a dating app just for people who are verified Twitter users. What I mean by verified is you, you've seen it, the, the celebrities that, who have the blue check mark next to their name. Well, you can now start dating other verified users of the Twitterverse. The app is called Blue. It's a premium version of an existing dating app that's out there. And uh, there's Blue estimates that there's about 200,000 Twitter users who have that blue check mark next to their name, meaning they're verified. Um, and so you can pick from uh, some of the 200,000 verified users to date. That doesn't necessarily mean you're guaranteed to date a celebrity, or but maybe someone who's internet famous. Um, and uh, Everyone has been verified by Twitter. Marianne, you have a blue check mark next to your name on Twitter. Does this sound like it makes dating elitist, practical, fun, like or dislike? Neither like nor dislike. <laughs> Completely do not care. <laughs> that is the, see, that most like or dislike topics are that way. Dr. Hall, what uh, do you think? I think I share the same, the same opinion. <laughs> yeah, I also sort of feel like I don't care. The one thing that I have to say that's interesting about it is I think a lot of people are nervous about online dating because what if the person on the other end isn't, they get catfished, like that isn't the person who they think they're interacting with. I guess services like this help um, cut down on that, but there's probably better ways to do that than just using a, a Twitter verified mark. Okay, so <laughs> our guests voted not only like or dislike, but do not care. Do you guys agree? Tweet me at doc. That sounds weird saying, you know, tweet me on that. Tweet me at Randy Zuckerberg. All right. Robocops. The city of Dubai announced that it will roll out a fleet of self-driving police cars by the end of the year in part of their plan to make 25% of its police force robotic by the year 2030. The vehicles utilize facial recognition software, biometrics to identify criminals. The machines are known as Zero R3. They have 360-degree cameras, built-in surveillance systems and drones. Uh, what do you think, Dr. Han? real-life robocops, like or dislike? I think if the technology is good enough, then, <laughs> then, then I like it. I mean, I think that's the future, you know, to, to send, you know, robots into more dangerous areas to, 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 uh, to check things out. <laughs> Miriam, what do you think? Absolutely do not like. I think that sounds very dangerous and yeah. has some uh, terrible possibilities there. Yeah. Um, for uh, a, a robot identifying you as a criminal and no human being exercise exercising mm. wisdom and human judgment do not like at all mm. i have I have both like and dislike feelings about it. I think um, there's probably a lot of things like mall surveillance and security and parking lots and things like that. Like I would feel a lot safer going to a car in the dark, even if I knew that there was robot uh, patrol. But I think you're right. I think uh, there's also a lot of things that, you know, need the, the human emotional yeah, touch to read. Yeah, potential abuse there is, is quite great. That's right. So, uh, again, let us know what you guys think on, on RoboCops. But, you know, go Dubai for taking a, a big um, leap forward in technology and, and trying something new. That's the way, way to innovate in this world. All right, last topic is about extreme commuting. I recently read that um, 85% of American workers have a very manageable commute, about 25 to 30 minutes to work each day. Um, but there are about half a million people in the United States called extreme commuters. These are people who travel at <clears throat> least two hours each way, five days a week, and um, 
And due to flexible hours, technology, rising rent prices, this number's on the rise. I actually recently met the COO of a tech company in San Francisco who lives in Southern California, 400 miles away. So every day he wakes up at 5 a.m., goes to the airport, takes a 90-minute flight to Northern California and goes to the office. He works from 8 to 5 and is back home in Southern California by 9 p.m. Marianne, would you, could you, should you live like this, like or dislike? Well, it's not a matter of should, but my first thought has to do with the carbon footprint, of course. Mm. I mean, are they on trains or this gentleman you just mentioned, that's a plane, the cars. And I also can't imagine it not having a very high human cost. Yes. Uh, in terms of family life, in terms of just human sense of well-being, yeah. I think it, in a certain way, is disturbing. Yeah. And Dr. Howe, do you think you live on planes a lot? <laughs> I think it's sometimes it's more efficient for people to, to, to live near where they yeah. work and just better use of their time. They can spend more time with family. Yeah. So some of my, my staff, you know, I let them work from home and, and they only have to cut travel in, you know, yes. what, once a week or something. It's a big trend. You know, this came up a lot in San Francisco when I was living there. It also comes up a lot in New York, which is that some cities, as the prices of living go up, it's essentially pricing people like teachers, nurses, uh, restaurant workers out of the city in which they're living in. So sometimes, like in San Francisco, it's very hard if you're running a restaurant to find people to staff that restaurant who live in the city. Um, and so it's, it's really ri- the, the commute times are rising in, in expensive cities around the country. So interesting problem. All right, let me well, know. Yeah. Oh. Even that, though, look at what you're saying there. Yeah. They're saying that people who cannot afford to live there that's right. Are the ones who have to make all those, you know, that's rising because of all the gentrification. That's right. Where certain cities are pushing out anybody that can't afford to live there, so then they have to t- take those huge commutes to work there. This is not a good social. No, trend at all. it's terrible when you you know when you think about um, even. Uh, they were saying in, in San Francisco, there's um, like firefighters. And, I mean, example. often have really long commutes. Right. I don't know about you, but if I have an emergency right. in my home, I don't right. want my firefighter having a 45-minute commute. So the people within a service economy then can't afford to live in the communities that they serve. That's this right. This is just building more and more of an of an upstairs-downstairs economy across the board. You're exactly right, Marion. It's something that I talk about a lot as a, a real rising issue in, in our society and something that I think we, we really have to focus on on affordable housing and, and some and those issues to make sure that if people are extreme commuting, it's because they want to, not because they have yeah, to. Exactly. Um, all right. Thank you again. If you're just joining us now, you're listening to Dot Complicated. I'm your host, Randy Zuckerberg, and I'm so thrilled today to have two incredible guests on the show with me. I have a guest co-host, Dr. Johnny Hahn. I also have Marianne Williamson, author of 11 books, four of them reaching the New York Times uh, number one spot on the bestseller list. The physical and mental considerations of your job are just as crucial to your well-being as your personal ethics and morals, and there's nobody better to discuss the spiritual side of business than Marianne Williamson. Marianne became a household name after her first book, A Return to Love, shot to the top of Oprah's favorite books and spent 39 weeks on top of the New York Times bestseller list. She's an internationally acclaimed author, speaker, and women's advocate. Marianne, maybe, can you start off talking to us about Project Angel Food, which you founded recently? I absolutely can, but I also want to go back to the de- 
to Dubai and the Robocops. Yes. Do you want to do Project Angel Fit first or Dubai and the Robocops first? Let's, let's go <coughs> Dubai and Robocops. I found it very disturbing. Let's uh, take an example such as the law in Dubai about being gay. Mm. Now, if you visit Dubai and they tell you something like this is against the law, but it's really okay because people have private places they can go. Once you start with something like Robocops, the possibility of surveillance and uh, of all personal activity, human rights abuses, is so great. And so when you said something like congratulations to Dubai for taking tech further, mm. tech itself is neutral. It is morally yes. neutral. And whether it is used for high-minded or low-minded purposes, this is a moral and ethical consideration. And I don't think we should just be congratulating someone just for stepping up technology, but rather always including yes. in that conversation what the moral and ethical uh, dimensions are, because um, uh, something like that can be used for fascistic tendencies as easily as it can be used for liberating ones. You're absolutely right. It's uh, who is controlling the code and the, and the algorithms. And whether and or yes. not we should be, be celebrating it. To yes. really always be asking the question about the moral and ethical dimensions. I think that's that's an excellent, thank you for adding that. That's a, an excellent point. Um, you're right. The technology, it's just, it's its metal and wires and plastic. That's it's not right. good or bad. It's how, how we use and it. They, and the human consciousness directing it should always be included in our questioning about mm -hmm. anything in business and technology. I think that's really the revolution of consciousness. It's coming to, to business mm -hmm. today. Yes. So, but I think, yeah. I think it's, uh, but it also depends on the, you know, what kind of technology, you know, like achieve. Because, for example, in some countries in, in, in Africa, in the Middle East, mm. it's sometimes hard to actually report an incident or to find help. Mm -hmm. So if there's like cars there that you can like seek help and there's a systematic way to, to, to report something. The then positive then, yes, possibilities yes. are absolutely there and just as important and just as infinite. I just think it should yes. be included in the conversation yes, which we're talking yeah. about. Yeah. yeah, I think also it's interesting because it's, it's almost inevitable that we're going to be heading towards a world where there's driverless cars on the road and, and, and things with robotics. I think what's going to be most painful is the decade or two decade span where there's both where there's humans in those roles and machines before we, we learn uh, and before we learn how the machines can that's be conscious. Why this that's why it's so important that we include the entirety yeah. of, 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 of dimension, of moral and ethical dimension in our conversation now. Yes. Well, thank, that's an excellent, excellent point, and I, I want to come back to that for sure. Um, all right, on to Project Angel <coughs> yes. Food, because I okay. want to make sure we, we get Great. to all of the incredible work that you're doing. Um, Meals on Wheels program that serves homebound people with AIDS in the Los Angeles area. Talk to me about how you... And it has now uh, served its 10 millionth meal. Wow, congratulations. Thank you, and congratulations oh, to all of the people who have been involved. I'm just one of many. Back in the 1980s when I first started lecturing on mm -hmm. A Course in Miracles, it was at the same time, it turned out to be the same time, when there was this huge explosion, which was the AIDS crisis, and I was living in L.A. at the time. And uh, for those of us who remember it, it was, well, it was a plague in our midst, which for a quite a while um, could not be, uh, addressed adequately, anywhere near adequately, by uh, Western medicine. And it also took quite a while for organized religious institutions to process their own issues around homophobia, et cetera, to mm -hmm. really show up for people. So those of us who were involved with uh, spiritual seeking and higher consciousness had sort of more of a direct response to just helping the sufferer in our midst. So it really, the Project Angel Food uh, grew out of uh, people who were coming together 
seeking uh, seeking greater love in our lives, mm-hmm. seeking greater forgiveness, and provided non-medical support services to people living with life-challenging illnesses. We had started something called the L.A. Center for Living. There was also a New York Center for Living that we started at that time, where people who had AIDS could come, and they didn't have to be alone. Uh, you, you didn't just sit at home alone all day. You, you could come to the center. There was food for you. There were massage. There were masseurs. There were movies to watch and TV shows and support groups. And then one day I walked in and I said, where's John or where's Bob or where's Dylan? And they would say, I started to hear, he's not here today. Why isn't he here? Well, he couldn't get out of bed. Well, then how's he going to eat? Well, I don't know. Well, we better deliver it to him. And so that's when the Project Angel Food grew out of that larger project, uh, the idea of delivering to homebound people um, the food. But it, 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 it came with the, the realization that the love we were delivering was as important as the food, that the volunteers knew that in many cases you will be the only human being that this person sees all day. The fact that we care will matter as much as the food, that it be nourishing food, that there would be little love notes, that there would be little pictures uh, drawn on the bags, that, that people really knew that by being the deliverer of this food, um, you are bringing your love, you're bringing your heart. And, what, and I think that that human interaction did as much to heal people and prolong their lives as did the food itself. And I'm, I'm proud of that consciousness that we all shared at the beginning because I know it's continued in the work that Project Angel Food does even now. That was back in the 89 and 90. I loved um, this quote that perhaps you're you know, best known for this quote from your 1992 bestseller, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It's our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. What I, What were you, I mean, it's a beautiful quote. What were you thinking when you wrote it? And That's just a paragraph uh, yeah. from my book, A Return to Love. And I have no idea how it got, how it got <laughs> separated out. I have no idea how I got misattributed to Nelson Mandela. The whole thing is kind of odd. It's just one paragraph out of a book called A Return to Love, and the subtitle of that book is Reflections on the Principles of A Course in Miracles. So I can't take personal credit for the gist of that quote, because the idea that we're more afraid of our uh, of our light than of our darkness is simply a principle in A Course in Miracles. Mm. I want to hear about your journey, because we were talking before the show that you started off as a cabaret singer and now are one of the biggest spiritual teachers, authors, and and motivators out there. So maybe you can take us through your journey a bit. Well, I don't know if, you know, I, I, I sang the way Bill Clinton played the saxophone. It was just something I did when I was younger. If I had been great at it, maybe I would have continued. <laughs> but I learned pretty quickly that I was better at the in-between song patter than I was at the singing. <laughs> it was talking that I did better than singing. And uh, But, you know, that period of my life, short as it was, did contribute to my knowing how to speak on stage. And uh-huh. given what I do now... And, you know, came to do after that part of my life. Actually, it was a great part of the training. I think everything we do in life contributes in ways that we might not know at the time to our being the people and even the professionals um, that we might be destined to become. Doctor, have you seen, have you agree, do you agree with the... And have you seen the arts play a role in, in your business journey also? Yes, I think it all makes sense in the end. Yeah. You know, Everything makes sense, and you have to do certain things to get to somewhere, yeah. and then you, you, know, you eventually find your way. And it, you it, don't necessarily know at the time. No. It, mm-hmm. o- it often does not make any sense while you're in it. 
Um, your book, Marian, The Law of Divine Compensation, takes an in-depth look at the spiritual side of our careers and finances, which I thought was, was a really powerful topic, starting with the difference between having a job and having a calling. Mm -hmm. um, what What is the difference between the two, and how can someone follow their calling if they're already well into their career? I think what we want is meaning. I think we want to feel that our lives matter. I think we want to feel the dignity of creative effort, rewarding effort. If you have that, money tends to flow. You can't get to that, however, just from making money. And so I think there is a kind of integrative, holistic perspective on life itself, which is the sort of revolution of consciousness that everybody's reaching for in every area. We want more than a job. We want to feel like we wake up in the morning and something that we do expresses the best of ourselves. It's, it's, it's an effort that, that brings value. Mm -hmm. not only to ourselves because we make money, but to the world at large, whatever it is that we do. And we can go to sleep at night feeling like we contributed. And mm -hmm. I think when that's our perspective, that's healthier. It is, more, it is a more abundant attitude. I think that's how you, you get a healthy economy. You get a healthy economy by mining the gold, which is the potential within every, every child. So I think that, that seeing what's inside us as the generator of wealth creation mm -hmm. uh, is, is a thought that is very powerful in its implications, not only for us in terms of our human happiness, but also in terms of our economy. When did you have a, a specific moment that you realized your calling? I think our ultimate calling is to be the people that God would have us be. Mm -hmm. I think my calling is to try to be the woman I'm capable of being on any given day. The form you know, we you, take you for an example. You have a radio show. You also do other work. You're also mm -hmm. a mother. Dr. Han, the same. We have many. We're, we're multidimensional beings. Mm -hmm. And even if you have something that you focus on at any given time, I, I, I don't think we should be married to form. I think mm -hmm. we should be married to content. I think we should be married to, to the dedication to create in whatever way is given us to the good, the true, the beautiful, the holy, that's what's going to heal this world. And that's what I think people really want. We become, in so many areas of life, way too mesmerized by the externals. Yes. And not deep enough in our questioning and our navigating through internal values. Dr. Han, what do you think? When, when, when did you realize you're calling? Or no, I agree. I think life is a, a journey of learning, you know, uh. and people have to learn and, 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 and you know, and for me, you know, I try to be, want to learn to be a better person. Yeah, it's it's interesting what what you're both saying because I find that uh, when someone asks you, "What do you do, Randy?" and I have a different answer depending on the day they ask, that makes people uncomfortable. Make, people want to be able to just put you in a little box, and that's it. Um, and it's uh, it's it's very, uh, but I it's really resonating with me what you're saying about being a multi-dimensional person. What concerns me also is how many women feel that saying I'm a mother is not enough. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Right, the most what do you do? Yeah. I raise a child or yeah. two or six. That's right. Yeah. It's um, and I know in my own life, and I have done a few things. Um, there is no job more difficult, more important. Uh, or more taxing yeah. than being a good good parent. Yes, I agree. I I'm interested in um, looking at business leaders, especially those who are you know creating commodity and and how that can also be life's work. Take you know Jeff Bezos and Amazon for example. Jeff Bezos is now the richest man alive on. Um, 
can a for-profit mega corporation could that also be a life's work or a calling um, even if it's creating commodity or how can business leaders create more enlightened leadership well uh, Jeff Bezos is is an interesting example mm-hmm. on one hand can a major business leader be a force for good obviously mm-hmm. uh, and, and 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 many are however I think Jeff Bezos the fact that he's so wealthy and he's so successful I think that it is absolutely legitimate for us to be having a very passionate conversation in our society about what the Amazonization of business mm-hmm. is doing right. to independent everything from independent booksellers to independent grocers to independent anything retailers this is really what we want for our for our country it's a conversation that i think needs to be had do you really want all these stores closing because this is a large part of our of our social interaction so i don't i'm not even saying i have an answer so much but i think the mm-hmm. question is important and once again we should not be so mesmerized by the fact that he's rich by the fact that he's this world a business leader. He's also a human being. Wealth needs to be held responsible for the moral and ethical dimensions of its of its output, just as every other area does. I uh, do you agree, Doctor? Yes, I agree. But, and I also what I want to add is that uh, I think there's a lot of great entrepreneurs in this mm-hmm. country that a lot of people are learning from basically mm-hmm. you know you know wealthy people from asia mm-hmm. you know i think they all look at the us you know the the, the big entrepreneurs here as an example i think they're doing mm-hmm. great things i think th- what's important in that for me as an american mm-hmm. hearing you is that mm-hmm. i hate to see the end of a time when people looked at american society including american capitalism mm-hmm. not only for our material output but also for our ethical center Mm-hmm. And capitalism divorced from its ethical center is not only not a con- an ultimate contribution, it can be a scourge on the planet. And that, to me, is American entrepreneurial spirit at its best, mm-hmm. is the, not only our spunk, not only our creativity, but also that we see purpose in it. Yes. And that purpose has to do with making the world a better place. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm very excited to continue this conversation. Don't go anywhere, you guys, because we're going to be back. Marion has some incredible views on um, creativity, authenticity, and then also uh, some interesting views on why ideas like specialness and setting intentions can sometimes be detrimental, even if we approach it in a positive way. So, again, don't go anywhere. You're listening to Doc Complicated. I'm your host, Randy Zuckerberg, right here in Sirius XM, Channel 111 Business Radio, chatting today with Marianne Williamson with my special guest host, Dr. Johnny Hahn. We'll be right back. You're listening to Dot Complicated on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Randy Zuckerberg. Welcome back to Dot Complicated. I'm your host, Randy Zuckerberg, here on Sirius XM Channel 111 Business Radio, where we're chatting with Marianne Williamson, uh, author of 11 books and just really beautiful, beautiful advice on uh, business and finding your calling, spirituality, ethics. I'm also joined by my guest co-host, Dr. Johnny Hahn, today. Marianne, your latest book, Tears to Triumph, discusses the importance of not avoiding painful moments and moments of failure. I think um, as a society, we try to, you know, not talk about failing as much as possible. But um, 
I think you know we learn the most from our failures in the business and entrepreneurial world. What is your advice for those who've experienced major setbacks and roadblocks? Well, I think some of the most uh, powerful people in our society failed before they ultimately succeeded. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think strong, powerful people are not those who never fall down. Uh, they are those who, when they fall down, get back up. And you're not going to create anything big in life without taking risk. Mm-hmm. I mean, the people who have done the greatest things were considered fools at the time by somebody. <laughs> and the fact that they went mm-hmm. on and they drove forward uh, often uh, in- includes some setback, some sense of failure. Mm-hmm. And I think our capacity to own the realization that even in the most happy, creative life, there will be sad days, there will be disappointing times, is extremely important because mm-hmm. what's become in vogue recently is to to distract ourselves, to numb ourselves, to buffer ourselves from the pain of disappointment. Mm-hmm. But disappointing times are also important times for learning and for growth. If you fell down in your business, let's say, why? What was your part in it? What did you learn from it? Sometimes that's the best business education that we get. This is true in relationships. It's true in anything. Yeah. What was my part in my failure? Uh, what do I have to learn from this so that when I go back out there, I will do it better and I will do it differently? Right. But this idea that we have that only, you know, this almost like cheap yellow smiley face, <laughs> happy, happy, success, success. Right. Sometimes the most successful life uh, is a, uh, all the time, not just sometimes. The, the most successful life is a well-lived life. A well-lived life means sometimes going for things um, a little bit right. beyond your grasp, a little bit beyond your reach. But that's how you learn to uh, do it better the next time. Yeah. You, the only you, failure is something. The only failure in life is something you failed to learn from. That's right. Is are you seeing the same thing playing yes, out in, yes, in China and abroad? I think it's very important for entrepreneurs to be able to have to to, to fail. You know, in order to become stronger, it's very important. It's part of the the, the kind of selection process. Mm-hmm. I think one of the the great thing about this country is I think people accept that entrepreneurs has to fail a few times before they become successful. Yes. In Europe, it's harder. In Europe, uh-huh. they just want, like, you know, 45-year-old virgin that, you know, clean track record and, <laughs> you know, to run public companies. I think a lot of time you need entrepreneurs who uh-huh. have been there, who have, like, you know, you know been into the, in, in the yes. battles. Yeah. Absolutely. I agree 100%. Uh, we actually have a caller from uh, Nicole from San Francisco. Hi, Nicole. Hi, Randy. Um, thank you for taking my call. Um, I listened to your show. Thanks again. And, and uh, Marianne, um, I've read a lot of your books and I've seen you speak in LA. Um, the question I have is regarding forgiveness in the workplace. Um, I know one of your m- main messages is forgiveness. And I'm just wondering how to take that and implement that in the workplace, you know, from everyday sort of transgressions all the way to, you know, there's a wage gap for women and, you know, the way sometimes corporates tend to treat women. I'd love to hear your viewpoint on that. Forgiveness, whether it has to do with uh, individual human interaction or whether it has to do with larger economic and social systems, does not necessarily mean uh, passive acceptance or acquiescence to that which we consider unjust. Forgiveness means that we that we stand within a ground of ultimate radical goodwill for other people. But from within that place, we can more easily own our yes and own our no, not from a place of anger, but from a place of what is acceptable. I think that if we really make our desire, uh, our intention, as Randy was saying, to be a good employee, to be a good employer, to be a good citizen, then you have the self-respect that gives you um, a... um, 
uh, a sense that you have the right to say when something is not okay with you. And that's, that's an important thing, both as an employee, as an employer, and as a citizen. And I think we're all working on all those bases all the time. We're asking ourselves um, how we can, uh, I think a good employer or a good employee is asking, how can I improve my human interaction with this other person, live in greater kindness and forgiveness, but also knowing that there are appropriate psychological and, and work boundaries. And I think that's true in the society as well. Uh, particularly in a free society, we have the right to say um, that uh, certain uh, economic uh, policies, whether it has to do with banks, whether it has to do with corporate tax breaks or subsidies, actually increase income inequality, and that's not okay. That doesn't mean I'm not a loving person when I say that, mm -hmm. and I think that's really important for women particularly because sometimes we're afraid to say no. We're afraid that somebody will think we're not a nice girl or mm -hmm. whatever, and I think it's important that we know that love does sometimes say no, uh, just sometimes and often love says yes. Mm, beautiful. And thank you, Nicole. That was a, a great question. I'm so glad that you could call into the show today. Thank you so much for, for joining us. Great. Thank you. Um, you you mentioned a, a few things in there that got, got me thinking. You, you mentioned <coughs> intentions. And I know a lot of people go into uh, meetings, setting intentions. They think it's a <laughs> wonderful thing. I've heard you speak out sometimes about the danger of setting intentions, and uh, whether that's in a business plan, a meeting, why do you advise against um, going to something with one particular intention? Well, it's not that I, I advise against yes, intention, sorry. but the concept, and then you apologize for it, but <laughs> I think sometimes the concept is misused. For yes. instance, in today's world, it's very common. You go into any meeting and somebody says, okay, now what's our intention for this meeting? And people go, okay, so my intention mm -hmm. is to sell this many units of this product, let's mm -hmm. say. What this is doing is it is training us to to be transactional rather than relational in ways that are ultimately unhealthy if they become the societal norm. Mm -hmm. If I go into a meeting with the intention to sell more, the intention to get more, then my intention is basically to subconsciously manipulate you in whatever way that, that I deem uh, mm -hmm. necessary in order to quote unquote get what I want. I think when we came into the radio show today, our intention was just to have as good a show as possible. All of us wanted to show up as our best. Yeah. Uh, and somebody with an intention to make it a certain way for their ultimate good that they think they might get from it corrupts yeah. the energy and actually diminishes the creativity. Yeah. So you have an intention, but your intention is to rise to the occasion and to mm -hmm. leave the rest to a sort of natural order of things, which does increase and does bring abundance to all living things. The next time someone asks me to set an intention, I'm going to say to ri rise to the occasion. You carry it with you, Randy. Don't worry about it. You're doing really good. <laughs> <laughs> for an hour. Thank you. No, I. I think I, everybody feels it. Actually, I no, I I appreciate that, uh, Doctor Hunt. Do you meditate at all, or do anything, uh, or aspire to meditate? <laughs> I, you know, I try to do that. You know, to to to, to think sometimes is part of my learning process. I agree with uh, Marion. Uh, basically, I think it's it's important to to have an intention before you do something but also keep an open mind you know to mm. listen to what other people have to say and to develop you know to work with each other basically mm. you could have an intention to serve you could yes. have an intention to love you know when people if if you walk into a store and you feel radical goodwill from whoever's working in that store. Yeah. It makes you want to hang out there. Yeah. You're more likely to want to shop there. That's a much higher intention than if you walked mm -hmm. into that store and they only saw you as a potential sale. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
I, I think that's something that we can certainly learn from in all business. And you also, I, I've heard you talk about the benefits of meditating in the morning and even before things like job interviews and meetings. Um, what is the benefit of, of meditation in business? Well, meditation, when we meditate, we actually shift our brain waves. And what's happening in America today is a level of chronic stress that is extremely debilitating. It is debilitating to our physical health. It is debilitating to our our psychological health. It is debilitating to our emotional health. Yeah. And how you do in business is a, is an expression and a reflection of how you're doing in life. If I'm calmer, if I have impulse control, if I'm able to listen deeply, if I'm able to really access the most creative aspects of my mind, then it's a much higher possibility that I can work well with it as a team, be a better employer, be a better employee, hold a vision for what's possible for this business. You bring yourself to business. And meditation enables us to ground ourselves within the fullness of self rather than in this crazy, neurotic, fractured, uh, stress-filled, anxious, anxious domain that is far too often the mental and emotional um, framework uh, I feel like of human you're, experience. You're describing me when you're when you're saying the, the neurotic frame, and I, I just think I, I aspire to meditate, but then every time. I do. I have a hard time shutting down. I just keep thinking about everything else that I'm not doing at that moment. Well, pray, <laughs> meditate. I mean, there are many different yeah. forms of being with God. You know, Blaise Pascal said that every problem with the world can be traced to man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. There are many ways, you know, you, you said you have small babies, you know, you hold a baby in your arms for a while, that's a form of meditation. Yes. Anything that centers you on what is deeply, deeply true before you go out into a world that is so rife with ultimately meaningless preoccupation. <laughs> then you become at the effect of that. What we want to be is at cause rather than at effect. Yes. And that's what practice of forgiveness and deep quiet and reflection and wisdom mm -hmm. and prayer gives to us. So I should spend more time with my children, less time thinking about apps that allow you to date Twitter verified no. users. <laughs> Sorry, a no lot joke. of those people are on those apps hoping to get to the point where they can have children. <laughs> so one of my hobbies is to look at contemporary art. And sometimes yeah. you can have a moment yeah. to look at the art, to think, you know, yes. to relax a bit. That's a great that's a great thing and I think the art and theater is a form of meditation yes, also of yes. just kind of losing yourself and, and giving yourself up to, to someone else's story of what you're seeing in front of you. And expanding yourself into the fullness of your personhood. Mm -hmm. When you and I were speaking earlier before the show, you were talking about how it's 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 dangerous, it's unhealthy for little girls to not think math, science and tech yeah. should be part of their lives and we were talking about how it's equally dangerous for little boys to think that art and culture should not be part of theirs. Absolutely. They're yeah. a yin and a yang of a, of a full life. A hundred percent. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Doc Complicated. I'm your host, Randy Zuckerberg. We are uh, speaking today with Marianne Williamson about spirituality and business and life, meditation, setting intentions, rising to the occasion. That's my, my new intention. Um, also joined by guest co-host, Dr. Johnny Hahn. Um, I've been thinking a lot recently about creativity, and uh, you mentioned you mentioned this a little bit when you said that um, uh, it, we shouldn't walk into something with an intention of, of selling. We should walk into something with an intention of service. Um, but how does creativity become distorted when the end goal is money, and how can we reclaim our creativity back? When we replace uh, ambition 
for in, with inspiration. And when we replace a mental, mentality of sales with service, then a natural level of creativity flows forth. You want to see creativity go into a kindergarten. You show me a child who doesn't want to draw. You show me a child who doesn't want to play with the blocks. You show me a child that doesn't want to run around and be creative. That's the natural spirit. So mm -hmm. the, the point here is that when all you have is a monetary goal and uh, uh, we have mm -hmm. to sell this many units, it can be adrenaline, but it's like the white sugar of creativity. It's a blast and it doesn't last. It's not deeply nourishing. What's mm -hmm. deeply nourishing is, is, is the fulfillment of a sense that you have meaning. There is something powerful and important that we're all creating here. And then what happens is that your creativity is automatically upped because that's what people yeah. want to do. It's like the immune system. It's a psychological and emotional immune system. And from that money, it flows without mm -hmm. that being the directing force. Yeah. By definition, you create more. By definition, you sell more. It, it comes, but you're not corrupted by a mentality that puts that first. Yeah, I, I'm interested from your perspective as an investor and a venture capitalist in this because I think um, as entrepreneurs and artists, so we aspire to be creative. But then if someone comes and, and gives a pitch to you, you want to see both that someone's creative, but that also it's a viable business. So how do you encourage... I think mean for me, you know, when I interview yeah. entrepreneurs, yes. their, their personality and their characters and their philosophies are more important than their business plans. Hmm. Because it's not if you want to back someone, you're backing that person. Mm. If the person is, is creative, is strong, is, is a good guy, eventually one of his, you know, the, the business will work. <clears throat> I tell people all the time that ultimately the reason somebody's going to invest in you, the reason somebody's going to promote you, the reason somebody's going to hire you will be because they like you. There will mm -hmm. always be somebody with a resume as good as yours. There will always be somebody with a business plan as good as yours. There will always be someone with a pitch as good as yours. But people who really know, including people who really know where money comes from and how to make it, are taking in who you are, mm -hmm. are taking it in and, and, and have that edge of, you know what, there's just something about them. I'm going to go with them. Of course, you have to have the minimum in terms of the business plan or whatever. But ultimately, and I'm sure that Dr. Han, yes. from what you just said, you agree with yeah, this. You've got three people in front of you. They all have a good enough business plan. Mm -hmm. There's that, that extra dimension, that added dimension that makes you feel I'm going with them or not. Uh, yes, it's the person himself. Mm -hmm. yes. Yeah, because if you're investing in someone, you're, you're partnering with them. And, and that's, that's the point. Yeah. You're investing in the person, yes. not just in the business. Mm -hmm. You're investing with the, in the person who's going to drive the business yeah. and create yes. the business. Yes. That's right. Um, it's People say not to discuss religion and politics at the dinner table. That so leaves me out of dinner. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I feel like, you know, especially in this country, it's becoming a more dangerous topic by the second. Um, yet in business, you often have to get comfortable having difficult conversations with people. You can't just tiptoe around uh, delicate situations all the time. You have to. Uh, so how do you go into a difficult conversation with compassion? And how do you... Um, you know, how do you manage conversations around things like religion and politics and, and business also? You have to be able to honorably and respectfully know how to argue and debate. Mm -hmm. This is true in a marriage or an intimate relationship. It's true in a business. And also it's true in a healthy political uh, yeah. Uh, environment and atmosphere. The idea, of, uh, the, the realization nobody has a monopoly on truth, that's particularly important in business. 
because the whole point is you want to be with smart people who know as much as you do, but might be seeing something that you're not seeing. They bring some other perspective to the table. So our capacity in any area of life to be able to listen to deeply to people who don't necessarily agree with us, to be able to uh, affirm and respect people, uh, even when we don't ultimately conclude that our answer is their answer. These, once again, this the, the place where we are diminished in our society, whether it's in business, in religion, in, in uh, personal relationships, uh, or in politics or any other area, is these are personal dimensions. And this is part of our lack of impulse control. It's part of the anxiety. It's part of, you know, angry people, um, uh, people who, who are in despair and constant stress, that's where the lack of impulse control comes from. I, I know in, in my own life, when I made the biggest mistakes I've ever made, that would include in business as well as anything else, I was moving too fast. I wasn't in my, in, in my, in my quiet, reflective, powerful mind. And sometimes you say things and do things in business as well as any other area that you live to regret. And you play over in your mind, <clears throat> if only I hadn't said this, if only I hadn't <laughs> done that, if I had taken the weekend to think about it, yeah. mm -hmm. if I hadn't given my answer at the meeting, if I, I think of one business uh, experience of mine where a tremendous opportunity, including a tremendous financial opportunity, was lost, I've thought so many times, if only I had said, could I take a couple of days to think about this? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the, the ability to... Uh, to live deeply and reflectively is as much a winner's edge in business as in any area of life. Mm, I love that. All right, we're in, uh, sadly, the final few moments of our show. It flew by so fast. And uh, Dr. Hunt, I know you had a few questions for, for okay. Marion also. Okay. Thanks. <clears throat> um, so what was it like running for Congress? And will you do it again? It was brutal, and it was <laughs> exhilarating. Um, I... I ended the experience uh, with intact hope about what's possible through the political system. I don't see myself running for Congress again, um, but I certainly have not uh, lost any of my passion around those issues. I am, if anything, given the situation in America today, even more passionate. I don't know what form uh, my, my desire to be a good citizen will take. Um, but I, we, we, this is not an area we can afford to ignore at this time, and I'm not ignoring it. I don't know any thinking person who is. Okay. I would vote for you for anything. <laughs> <laughs> and and what else would you like to accomplish? You know that you haven't yet. You know what is the next? Well, I think my most important accomplishment—not that it was my accomplishment alone—but <coughs> my most important achievement, I suppose, is that I have raised a child who is now a young woman who. I know is a contributor and is happy. Mm. So that was the quote-unquote achievement I was most concerned with. Mm. Um, I want to, I want what everybody I know wants. Uh, we want to be the people that the God of our understanding would have us be, whatever that means to us, and to be part of the healing of this world. We are like, uh, uh, the entire human race is like uh, passengers on the Titanic. We are headed for the iceberg. It could be biochemical. It could be a weather catastrophe. It could be nuclear. We must turn this ship around. Mm -hmm. and, and business has a part to play. Politics has a part to play. Human relationships has a part to play. I, I think that the urgency of this moment, the seriousness of this moment, uh, the critical nature of this moment as we are challenged to adequately address these stress points. Um, I think that the, the, the more devoted we are uh, to 
being used for this higher purpose of making the world a better place, the more each of us will be guided internally to the part that we can Mm -hmm. play. The actual form of the part that we play is not as important as the increased devotion to playing it. Marion, where... uh, uh, where can people find more information about you or engage with some of your seminars, oh, like the spirit you. of business and creating a career that matters? Marianne.com. That shows how early I That shows how old wow. I am when I got Marianne.com. Oh, that's com. fantastic. <laughs> wow. Or how successful so you are. That yeah. well, was early. M-A-R-I-A-N-N-E. So what happens during your seminars and where can people sign well, up? Well, I lecture every Tuesday night here in Los Angeles at Marble Great. Collegiate Church, and they're live-streamed, mm-hmm. and they're live-streamed for free, and people can uh, register, and then the link is available for 72 hours. And also I do online classes. Um, I do, um, including, I have one called Creating a Career That Matters, um, and I've written books, and if people go to the website, they can see all the various you know, ways I've been at this for a long time. So there's <laughs> there are quite a few books and online classes, and I travel and I speak in different places. Well, it's fantastic. I know uh, I'm about to head out on on a vacation for a little while, so I, now I know what reading material I'm going to bring with me. I'm <laughs> Thank you. I'm really to you really thrilled that. to to read some more of your work, uh, Doctor Han. Where can people learn more about your your work and see some of your shows that you have on right now? I got a website as well, JohnnyHan.com. So. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and where what are there, do you have any shows that are running right now that people can see? So we have a a show in London, Forty Second Street. Ah, uh, yes, one of my it's favorites. It's a long-term show, so <laughs> people come to London, they, please come and see it. Wow, that's well, that's one of my all-time favorite shows. I was actually telling Dr. Han before the show that my AOL screen name back in the 90s was Peggy 42nd Street because I got the lead role in 42nd Street in my high school. So I feel like uh, there's the opening number when the curtain goes up and you see the tap dancing feet. Like I, I would be the person weeping wow. when I saw that. It just had, come like, to had... London, please come, Thank come you. on stage <laughs> and, 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 and dance. Wow, yeah, amazing. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm like, be careful what you wish for, Dr. Han. That's amazing. Um, wow, what an incredible hour. I wish, you know, I could talk to both of you forever. Marianne, you're an incredible woman. Right and back at you. Takes thank, one to know one. Thank you. Thank you for just sharing so much wisdom and beauty. And I feel like now I am I am inspired to rise to the occasion in everything that I do after speaking with you. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on Doc Complicated. This hour is the reason. That's the reason I do this show um, here on Sirius XM Channel 111 Business Radio. Join me every week, same time. Same place. See you soon.